Hello and welcome back to this uh, highly anticipated bonus bonus episode of TF <laughs> and making it's not the free one making the Financial Times's HR regret their decision already. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, That's right? right. They, we keep doing like serious bits of investigation that make people with their full names on their Twitter accounts and like their profile pictures of them in suits go interesting and quote tweeters. And then when they actually listen to it, it's all of us just making moaning noises because you have to pay. <laughs> us to listen to this episode mm-hmm. yeah that's right what happens when you come in space we're joined by rob smith from the financial <laughs> times <laughs> that's right so um but actually uh it is riley milo and alice and we mm. are talking about green sill the thrilling conclusion question mark uh yeah. and we are joined uh very pleased to be joined today uh by rob smith from the ft he's at bond hack on twitter a, a long a long time coming rob how's it going uh yeah it's great to be on it's a bit surreal to be on to be honest yeah. um but yeah it's wonderful to be here previously we just had to have like illicit dinners with rob like he was deep throat <laughs> uh, talking to him about green yeah. <laughs> we went to lahore too Right in, uh, in Lahore, Lahore one. Kebab House. Is it Lahore it one? It wasn't Lahore one either. Lahore was... one and two are run by a separate guy who's trying to steal valor from Lahore Kebab House. <laughs> yeah. Do not give that Sorry. man your business. You're right. We went he to is Lahore a Kebab House. And a liar and a charlatan. <laughs> oh, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. I remember I ordered what I thought was an okra curry, and then it was a lamb, an okra curry, and it was like the meatiest thing in the world. And I'm not a vegetarian. I just wasn't expecting lots of meat, but it was it was good. There you go. Unexpected meat available at Lahore Kebab House. Um, <laughs> By way of starting, though, I would like to issue a hearty congratulations uh, from the Trash Future crew uh, and uh, Rob Smith uh, to uh, Greensill and all of its subsidiary companies. All who's sailing, huh? For finally appointing an auditor. It's just a shame about the circumstances under which they got an auditor. Are they good? Are they good circumstances? Yeah. Is it a guy just like filming outside their office who's, uh, and they're like, can you please stop doing that? And he's like, why? It's my constitutional right. Um, No, they, because. Uh, Greensill, uh, much to the surprise of everyone here, uh, has gone into administration. Well, no, but their business model was so good. <laughs> That's right. So um, I just want to start, though, with a little bit of a preface, uh, a section I call Three Men in the Desert, before we talk about sort of what happened. Okay. Um, this is your Adam um, this Curtis, is... but... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so this is, this is an article that, that sort of uh, that I got from the FT. I believe it was one of yours, where we talk about how uh, Lex Greensill, David Cameron, and Mohammed bin Salman... Dream blunt rotation. Yeah. <laughs> ...all went on a camping trip in the Saudi desert. With a single dead pig. <laughs> yeah. um, so, could you... Okay, Rob, could you tell me a little bit, like, what was the nature of this camping trip, and was it better or worse than the um, uh, 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 comedy vehicle with... Uh, Dax Shepard comedy vehicle without a paddle? Yeah, so... So we learned about this camping trip, I guess, because unsurprisingly, Lex Greensill really liked telling the story about this camping trip. So mm. we talked to like three people who we told the story. Um, obviously, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, mm. uh, is one of the big investors in the Vision Fund, or rather Saudi Arabia is. So there's a link there. 
But yeah, they went camping in the Saudi desert. Um, and Lex told people that him and MBS bonded because they both studied law. And they like <laughs> they had like a long chat about law. Mm, like, both kind just of, big fancy boys. Yeah. They just both really like law and legality. So they had this like mm. big long chat about it. Why he's um, called Lex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. The Lex Greensill, one of the brought in by the Tribunes in uh, 34 BC. I think, I think you'll talk, it's the Lex Greensillia. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's, it, yeah, Prince Muhammad, a guy known for his uh, uh, MBS, known for his real uh, adoration of and respect for the rule of law. Indeed. Mm. Um, how many of his relatives are still trapped in that Marriott? Like 70s. It was a Hilton. I think, point, point of technicality, I think it was a Hilton. Getting sued. Yeah. We are underestimated in a Hilton. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, so Rob, so they go on this tr- this camping yes. trip together, mm. and um, they basically just like, I don't know, have a bonding session like in the outside the back of Corsica Studios. Yeah. They talk uh, about what they studied in university. I mean, essentially, mm. I mean, like, I mean, one thing I should say about this is like Lex Greensill told this story a lot. Um, and we've managed to track his private jets. Uh, my colleague, Cynthia Murchu, who's basically like a secret service agent, knows how to track people's private jets. And we can- Fuck, that guy loves planes. I forgot <laughs> yeah, about that yeah. element. He's, He's a plane four, guy. I think? Yeah, he had four, but they were funded by the bank that's now in the criminal like over a hundred that were like loosely linked to him at some point? They were, he didn't own them, but they were like under uh, his- he had, he had four, but that is a lot of private jets for like any one yeah. company. Uh, but no, so we can see that his private jets were going to Riyadh around that time. But like, as you probably know, we've asked David Cameron about this and he's just ignored every inquiry we've put to him. Huh. Weird, huh. right? Um, so we David have- Cameron didn't bond with MBS and he's kind <laughs> of like, he kind of felt a bit cut out. David yeah. Cameron didn't study law. He studied PPE. So he had yeah, nothing yeah. to talk D- about. David Cameron had whitey'd and just like couldn't communicate with anyone. But the other two were like really having a deep <laughs> like and David meaningful. Cameron's such a nerd. <laughs> but yeah, I mean- In the corner reading John Stuart Mill. <laughs> yeah. I think like the obvious thing here was like Lex was trying to supply chain finance a Ramco. That was the whole yeah. kind of grand prize. Mm. And it didn't end up happening. It was kind of weird. Like they had a head of Saudi Arabia at Greensill who actually spoke at this like fintech digital conference, which was organized mm. by the Department of Trade, but mm. they don't actually seem to have ended up doing that much. Why would you need to fight supply chain finance and oil company you don't you don't yeah you don't need to supply chain finance <laughs> their supply Anything. is the ground that they own <laughs> well i mean i think this is the question right and it's like a lot of this thing like there's probably an appeal to it mm. if you want to use it to window dress your balance sheet i'm not saying that aramco did want to do that but we no, all was, know that there are accounting been... advantages around this. All we're no, saying is no. one could use it for some sort of yeah, fraud. There, we're not yeah, saying yeah, that anyone did. Any sort of uh, public crisis in Aramco recently that would yeah. require them to uh, <laughs> make themselves look a lot more financially healthy than they have been. I mean, in fact, this is this is a bit of a theme, and it's a theme we'll be talking about a bit this episode, which is Lex Greensill's mission to insert Greensill into transactions where it makes no sense for it to be there, and generally, most of the time, getting laughed out of the room. Oh, any transaction. <laughs> That's right. Um, but what I think is really interesting, though, was the way that Greensill's trip to um, to Riyadh connected not just with his own ambitions to so, to basically um, insert an unnet, basically just take a cut at no benefit to anyone else of all the profits of Saudi Aramco in exchange for potentially window dressing its balance sheet, was rather Masayoshi Son's plan to put Lex Greensill's company 
at the center of a bunch of other companies, all of which have about as much substantively valuable to them, to basically recreate the world in the image of this slick, technologically advanced utopia almost. The vision was, right, and this was what they went to Saudi Arabia saying they wanted to do. The, the pitch was SoftBank is going to reinvent Saudi Arabia because okay. Saudi Arabia has, ever since MBS took over, he's been trying to reinvent it, but he's not very smart. And so he, oh, no. so he keeps um, reinventing it in ways that don't really make sense and um, could be construed as uh, scams. So he's te- he's he's l- l- delineating stuff. Yeah. He's so making stuff longer and thinner. Are you telling me that the guy who brought the WWE to Saudi Arabia may <laughs> not be being fully honest and forthcoming with some of his societal reforms? The architect of the line couldn't possibly be a sucker <laughs> who's easily taken advantage of. No, MB- MBS fully thinks wrestling's real. Yeah, I'm very excited for like Wahhabist wrestling. So, but what what's interesting here, right? Is the SoftBank is, is the 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 idea of the pitch was SoftBank is going to use all of its portfolio companies in the Vision Fund to modernize Mecca. So the mm. idea was that all different a city companies, which loves to be modernized, different comp- oh, it actually does. Uh, but different companies in the Vision Fund would play a role. So the startup Katera, which I believe is sort of swiftly becoming non-viable if it hasn't already, was going to build a whole bunch of new structures for tourists and hotels. Uh, the artificial intelligence company SenseTime would offer facial recognition, and OYO would turn those um, uh, buildings into hotels for visiting pilgrims, and Greensill would package it all up into investment products projects to finance the product yes. project. We talked about this on well, There's Your Problem, in fact. We talked a little yeah. bit about uh, with uh, with Seamus Malakafsley about Gulf State mega projects, and one of them was this sort of um, uh, uh, modernization plan for Mecca. And yeah, no, we're just going to have entire precincts of luxury hotels, and we're going to our, our guy for that is the startup that kills hotels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Awesome. We're yeah. going to put the cabal on the blockchain. Yeah. They're all going to have view windows, so they're going to the, be able to tell what's the, the weather's joke like. That I made at the time yeah. was um, uh, Apple Store inside the Carver. And I, I'm yeah. so glad that like we've we've now now that Greensill is going into administration, I have removed the ability to lave this from myself. Yeah. And Greensill was going to be at the center of all of it, providing all of the investment products. So essentially, all of these startups that don't do anything, fail all the time, and just sort of exist to raise money from investors, were going to be financed by this other thing that really just exists to make other companies look good so that they can um, raise money from investors. Ooh. Does that about the size of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like Lex was trying to securitize the Hajj, basically, is what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were trying to like turn, you know, Mecca into this like modern Blade Runner style like mm. pilgrim. Mm. Blade Runner eleven forty nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the idea was that like so you've you've probably seen there's a great clip of this. Massasons like he developed this nickname for Lex, which was the money guy. That's such a good nickname. So he used to say, he used to literally say, this is the money guy. And like, I think Massa at one time, like just became so bewitched by Lex, he thought he could like supply chain finance anything. Mm. So yeah, if you think about it, if like Massa is wanting to help Saudi Arabia, who one of his big, biggest financial backers, like create a futuristic like Hajj 2.0, the money guy is Lex Greensill, right? Who are you going to get? 
they put the financing together, it's going to be like screen tool. Yeah, th this guy oh. who can Nathan Barley's Hodge. <laughs> Look, business <laughs> is about believing in yourself and your friends. Skateboarding around the carver. <laughs> Effectively, yeah, it sort of is. And and Greensill's ability to just sort of create these notes, to create these notes out of like future sort of flows of cash, well, it's essentially able to. So long as you can sell the vision, mm. you can sell the derivative, and that's essentially what this was. It was a utopia. It was a utopian vision of the world that was dreamed up by very stupid people. <laughs> essentially mm. and they were going to start it in, in in saudi but there was also there was a meeting with another former where prime would you minister. naturally begin a utopia saudi arabia <laughs> there was another meeting with another former uk prime minister trying to do the same thing in indonesia but this was tony blair but otherwise the people at the meeting were the same people that guy's never been involved in anything underhand. lex greensill's in that meeting like you, yeah. so you can watch this on youtube and yeah massa introduces lex i think to the indonesian prime minister as the yeah. money guy and Tony Blair stood there in, in the background, kind of smiling. Is this? Yeah. But it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, this is the war crimes guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's exactly the same thing. That like Massa had this idea that he could create these kind of Blade Runner style utopias around the world, and obviously Lex, the money guy, Greensill, because mm. that be was the point of the film Blade Runner. That was the point that of Blade Runner. It's great, yeah. and the, it's, this is like this is how society should be. <laughs> that's right. And <laughs> I read this amazing book by George Orwell. It's about some animals who have a great farm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's it it such a fun story for kids. So it's it's but essentially right is what we what we have here is yeah it is it's it is the future as dreamed up by um by people who will have a product to sell. Mm. Um, and frequently, uh, that product is just some shit they sourced from somewhere else. And they've got some wonderful PowerPoints to sell you financing related to it. Beautiful PowerPoints. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what actually happened uh, with mm. Greensill. Um, and I, if we want to talk... So number one, uh, I'm going to insist that you go back and listen to episode one of, of our Greensill uh, coverage because I don't think it's ne we should necessarily spend this time like going back through like what Greensill does. Um, Do the reading if you want to understand this podcast. <laughs> look, if you, if you want to understand what if a Swedish man was Italian, you're not going to be able to do that without doing the homework. Okay, we're not. It's not our job to educate you. <laughs> okay, so fine. In brief, um, in brief, what we, what this company does is uh, Greensill will take any future revenue stream, frequently sort of the supply chains of big firms, so telecommunications firms were always the big ones of so Vodafone, mm. and say, hey, we're going to put ourselves uh, between us and your suppliers, Vodafone, your suppliers, like and Vodafone? so you don't have to pay them. Uh, yes, your mm. suppliers then can pay us 98% um, of the invoice amount uh, today, and you pay us at some later date 100% of the amount and we pocket that difference, and that's how we make our money. We get the money to pay your suppliers by selling um, a credit instrument uh, to someone who will buy it, frequently Credit Suisse. And yeah. that was the nature of the game. The reason that this is sort of so controversial is that a lot of these uh, sort of supply chain financing doesn't have to, if that's what it's called, doesn't have to be written down as debt. So you can make a, you can pump a lot of money through a company and make it look like a sort of viable firm when actually it's not. So the collapse mm. of Carillion was related to this, Agritrade and MC Healthcare, now Greensill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also a big controversial element of it is that lots of these companies were never going to pay this debt. <laughs> no. 
No. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so that's that, and it was valued at seven billion dollars uh, as part of the SoftBank Vision Fund. Uh, is now valued at how much? Zero. Yeah, nothing. Precisely nothing. <laughs> In desperation, hey. they turned the supply chain financer on themselves. <laughs> That's better than minus seven billion. Well, I think like just cutting in, like what's really interesting here is like a bunch of the corporate collapses you just described, like Carillion, NMC, they were mm. all kind of like sped up by supply chain finance. Like they all kind of they hit a bump and then everything just unraveled really quickly. So it's kind of interesting that the guy who did all the supply chain finance has had the most dramatic unraveling of all. It's like just supply chain finance, yeah. like squared or something. Maybe and this is seven D chess, and he's just doing market research. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm trying to make my company more similar to the companies I finance. <laughs> so back when we sort of first talked about this, around this time last year, maybe a little later, slightly under a year ago, yeah. um, we were just sort of looking into this and kind of like, our heads were exploding, sort of coming to understand <laughs> this product, mm. um, and. What I don't think we knew at the time, I don't think I don't think anyone knew this at the time, was the kind of the writing was already on the wall for Greensill's collapse, right? Because this is around when it turns out that the its credit insurance had become quite wobbly. Yeah. Yeah. And and because what had happened was, right, because all of these it's it's insured against defaults for all these crazy things it's it's writing. Mm. And it turns out that all of that insurance was provided by one guy. Oh, the insurance guy. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you've got a war oh, crimes no. guy, you've got a money guy, and you've got an insurance guy. Simple as. So, there was an <laughs> the insurance guy just like works at like a small insurance company in like fucking uh, Derby or something. <laughs> it's got a I'm sorry, I can show that for you. I'm from Derby. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's Rob. Um, no, so, basically, I've like de northern my accent. <laughs> so, yeah, mm. so what, I'm not a southerner. I'm what happened was it was an yeah, yeah. it was like an Australian sort of like you know financial insurer called uh, Bond and Credit Company. But the thing yeah, is based in Derby, right? There was <laughs> Derby, New South Wales. The thing is, it was. It turns out that there was just one guy there, uh, huh. Greg Brereton, who massively wrote in in excess of his authority. Oh. So Greensill should never have existed in the first place because it was insured by a guy who made a mistake, thereby causing. An enormous, now enormous financial so, fallout. Right, like what you're saying is that, like, all of the times on the original Green Cell episodes when we said this shouldn't exist and there is no reason for this to exist, we were <laughs> fucking right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I feel like it was in May 2020. Your it Green was Cell warmer than this. I remember yeah. that. I have a temperature based uh, memory. So I think Greg. Brayerton, and obviously he's been accused of this, you know, it's an internal investigation, yada, yada, yada. I think he was mm. thrown out of the bond and credit in like June or July. So yeah. it was just before. What's quite funny was I was actually on my like first post lockdown holiday in Cornwall mm. and I got a WhatsApp from my contact saying, oh, that guy in Australia who writes all of Greensill's insurance just got fired. And I was like, wow, that sounds like really important. I kind of like did a bit of digging into it, but I was like, ah, I know, I've got so many other Greensill strands to like dig into. I won't dig into that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it turned out there were a few other points, but it turned out like, oh, wait, yeah, that was kind of the point where the bottom card in the House of Cards just got like knocked out. I love that like the bottom card in all of these House of Cards is always like some fucking idiot. Yeah. Like it's just some Single guy like Australian yeah, like, man. That. 
All insurance guys are the same. It doesn't matter whether they're doing you a dodgy deal on your fucking house insurance or a dodgy deal on, like, the entire economy. It's always, like, some geezer in an office somewhere. <laughs> That's, like, a two-two in, like, fucking, I don't know, like, sports science. Well, this- <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I reckon I can insure that. Well, this Greg Brayton guy, like, he's... Um, so we did a profile on him. He's basically, like, a really nice bloke, but he's, like... Uh, my colleagues I'm <laughs> very funny he should do something yeah. else <laughs> no but this is the thing so like he's just like a normal guy like he loves rugby league he loves cricket you know mm. there's a tweet where I think he tweets about the reception in the Sky Sports Bar not being good and like he's that just kind a of regular thing. guy who likes to grill but you see, that's this is, so this is, fucking this weird this is exactly what I'm envisaging like as part of like at, at, like running a running a, even though our podcast our business is a podcast business still running a business I have to deal with a lot of like brokers and stuff for stuff like insurance loans whatever and just like they are it's a type of guy and that is the kind yeah. of guy it is but this is the thing i was just gonna say like you so you could actually see this in the credit swiss funds like yeah. i know like you dug into the credit swiss funds you could see a breakdown to the of the insurance and there was like iag and tokyo marine which is a japanese company and they were mm. like basically like 70 percent of the insurance together but they were basically this one subsidiary in Australia. It had been sold from IAG to Tokyo Marine. So that was like all the same thing. Yeah. So like if like I don't think any journalists, we all kind of could see the insurance was a weak point, but I don't think none of us were quite clever enough to work out like Oh shit, like more than three quarters of the insurance or whatever it is, is this, this one guy down in Australia. One uh, sort of nice guy. Quite literally, $900 reduce. Oh. So what happened oh, well, was- well, they, they said, could I insure this? And I said, well, I think so I could do that. What happened was, as, as, as sort of he was, as this company was being acquired by Tokyo Marine, they reviewed the books and were like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why are you insuring that? Who let you insure that? Do you work here? And then immediately, yeah, just, just like, no, well, the, of course the, we can't the big, insure this. The big hitman suspicion meter just filled up instantly, and it was just like, hey, who are you anyway? What are you doing? <laughs> this guy's just dressed up as an insurance broker. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, of course he was fired immediately, you, and then Green Seal began to slowly collapse. You're going to find... Frank man, Greg the, like, the guy that you dorsed at, this Australian broker, you're going to find the real one of him in a supply closet knocked unconscious in his underwear. <laughs> yeah, while I don't think Agent 47 uh, pretended to be an Aussie insurance broker, like, I think it is a bit implausible that this one guy in Australia was the only guy who had any knowledge of, like, all the bad insurance that was yeah. being written, if you if you see what I mean. Like, I don't think he like, had any knowledge. Like, Tokyo Marine is like this big Japanese company. They, like, bought this insurer, and then after the fact, were like, Oh wait! Look at this. It's like, hmm. I like to do my due diligence before I buy things. It's quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite. Hmm. No, I, I, the thing is, like, whenever the the thing about Greensill uh, is that anytime you answer a question, you answer it in a way that produces nine yeah. more questions mm. and a series um, of allegations but- of uh, serious illegality. <laughs> mm. That's right. So basically, right. After um, after this behind the scenes um, sort of insurance fuck up kind of basically made the company non viable in the medium term, mm. then we had the uh, allegations of circular financing at, at Credit Suisse. Uh, we had things come up like um, some of the dodgy dealings with uh, with uh, Sanjeev Gupta, mm. which we will get into in more detail. We had them still saying they were going to IPO in December, <laughs> and the most bizarre thing of all. Lex Greensill, as this was happening, didn't leave Britain. 
he didn't like, for example, move to Dubai with his millions. You know what I think which it is? is? What I was in his, I was done if I was in his position. I think it is genuinely a case of psychotic optimism, uh, just believing mm. that like you uh, and your own talents and your many, many highly placed friends in the Conservative Party are going to take care of it. So you, you don't need to get out ahead of it. The thing is, when you own a big reservation in Cheshire, on which you may or may not yes. hunt the most dangerous game, we do not know. If the Trinsaw hunts the most dangerous cannot, game. It's the sort of reservation on which you might hunt the most dangerous yeah, game. I'm not saying that he you does just that. Pick up and leave your your most dangerous game hunting organisation. If you were doing that, that both takes a lot of money for upkeep, and also you can't, you know, say you've got cages filled with, let's say, people. You can't, <laughs> you know, you can't just leave and not feed them. You know, you need guys for that. That's right. One guy, one Australian man, <laughs> yeah, one Australian guy, the people feeder, <laughs> um, right? But so, it, do you do you think that like this is a case of like psychotic optimism? Well, I think I think it's interesting. Like you might have seen this week, we kind of published some audio of Lex talking to his staff, and it, I think it was three weeks before they filed for administration, and he mm. said like we have an enormous amount of liquidity, and on these funds, like you know, Credit Suisse funds, which like two weeks after this they got like pulled because they f they found out about the insurance time bomb which had been ticking away <laughs> like almost since Greensill episode one of Trash Future had been ticking away for you're telling me this is just one guy <laughs> <Yeah>. in Australia <laughs> but, yeah. but basically Greensill was like talking to his staff and he, he, he said like these incredibly robust funds and he said all this stuff and like I think he believed it like I, I don't think he was like lying to his staff mm. I think I think mm. like the amount of self belief here was palpable. Um, well, you know what it is? Is that I think one of if you want to understand Lex Greensill the man, I think the text the text that you can do that through is death of a salesman, mm. someone who truly truly believes he's a Willie Loman guy that, that by knowing the right people by glad handing the right ways that you can kind of mm. bend the laws of physics. And these you know, moribund steel plants that and you've not written... not only the laws yeah. of physics. <laughs> <laughs> but that these moribund steel plants that you've written three years of receivables notes against are suddenly somehow, through the magic of your own brilliance, going to fire into life and you will, you know, be a hero. Oh, fuck, he's Alan Partridge. <laughs> the Daily Mail called this show moribund. Tonight, I will be having knives thrown at me on a road. Is that moribund? Your silence speaks volumes. Now, I mean, the, the thing is, right, the interesting question to me is, what does it say about the sort of fragility of our now primarily scams-based economy? That this can mm. work for a while, providing you know one Australian man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just want you to log on to uh, claims-refund.co.uk to pay some excess shipping on your Royal Mail delivery. That's right. Um, so I, I'm interested, right? What, what do you yeah. think this does say before we sort of get into some of the specifics about the fragility of our scams-based economy? Um, I think what's interesting about this is like, so, you know, I'm one of these people, like financial journalists have been writing about Greensill for years, but I'm not the only guy. There's loads of like Duncan Maven, who's at Financial News and the Wall Street Journal, uh, Luca Casaraghi at Bloomberg, John mm. Collinridge at the Sunday Times. So he does a lot on Gupta. And like, we've just all been writing different news stories for years, which are basically spins on none of this makes sense, right? Mm. And it, it's just kind of stunning to me that like, you know, most financial journalists, we're not actually trained in finance. We're like, we kind of learn on the job how to ask questions about it and stuff. 
And it, it was kind of screamingly obvious to us. It was screamingly obvious to a comedy left wing podcast, <laughs> like just how unsustainable it is. It was screamingly obvious to one member of a comedy <laughs> left wing podcast. That's not. <laughs> yeah, Hussein. Yeah, Hussein, who can't be here. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, why is that guy's name Mr. Masayoshi? <laughs> that, was, that was where I was at. But like, but like, oh, this MF called. This wasn't screamingly obvious to obviously SoftBank, obviously mm. David Cameron. Like Credit Suisse, most importantly, Credit Suisse's clients. So this was actually a Bloomberg story. They had that one of the Qatari princes put two hundred million dollars into one oh, of those. But those guys are so funds. smart, though. Yeah, oh, that's how they became big, princes. They big worked their brain, way up, guys. Yeah, exactly. You work your way up from Marquess to prince. Yeah, you start. You start off at like Janissary or whatever, and then you get up to <laughs> prince. But I was talking to someone in uh, like a Swiss hedge fund guy who's actually like really smart. I was talking to him about this, and I was making this point this week, like. Like, to me, it was just, like, so obvious this was nonsense. And he made a point that, like, there was a lot of complexity in Greensill's pitch, right? So it was like, oh, we've got the insurance, and then we've got this and that, and, you know, suppliers mm. pay and, like, blah, blah, blah. So, like, a lot of people, when they don't understand something, if they consider themselves smart, they don't like to admit that they haven't understood it. Mm. So they just go, oh, yeah, that's great. It works works mm. great. Rather than going mm. like, no, but wait a minute. There's like a, no, steel, there's like a steel magnet yeah. beneath all this and none of his business makes sense. Yeah, instead of asking <laughs> and, the question, uh, is this just a guy? <laughs> oh, so essentially, no, it is a, is a company called uh, Greg Breton LLC. No, no, it is just a guy. That is a guy. So, so what happened, right, was essentially all of these people, the sort of the world's financial elite, some of the richest people, the controllers, of the most money, high-end politicians and stuff, everything, mm. everyone kind of got taken and in. And also Matt Hancock. Uh, no. He <laughs> would, he was taken in by something? Yeah, he had, he had a nice social drink with David Cameron and Lex Matt Greenstill. Hancock was groomed. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's, Matt Hancock cannot consent. Yeah, they gave, it is not fair. Yeah, it's like they, they both had beers and they put a bowl of water out for Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> no, a bowl with his name yeah. on it in diamonds. No, so what happened, right, is that all of these people were basically taken in by an infomercial because they were too proud to say that doesn't make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, or even I don't yeah. understand this. Can you explain it? And it, like slower. Can you explain how this is not just a guy? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's 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 as though like. Um, th these are some of the easiest people to scam in the entire world. Man, it's almost as if we shouldn't be uh, building large parts of our economy on these people's ability to fetishize their own intelligence. Well, it almost no, goes back should. to a kind of long-standing trash future theory, right? About how almost the way that these people get into these positions is by not really paying attention mm. because the whole, the, like, the system benefits from these people not paying attention and all kind of like scamming each other in a sort of mutually beneficial way. And if you have a bunch of people in those positions who are going like, wait, hang on a minute, this is just a guy, then the whole thing falls down. So yeah. that's no good. <laughs> this is like, so this is a common theme in finance. So like you, you did a fun episode on Lars Windhorst, right? Right, which yes. is like he's another guy I write a lot about. Broadcast live from the Renault Clio in the <laughs> South. Exactly. So, like, and, and it was quite funny because he made some parallels between Lars and Lex, like they both love mm. planes. But yeah. one contiguous theme is me and my colleague Cynthia, who's like this brilliant, weird investigative journalist. I mean, weird as a compliment. She's just one of those like people who will like dig through every filing in the world yeah, and all we, this. We don't, we don't like, know anybody who's weird as a compliment. <laughs> on yeah. This podcast. Who, <laughs> um, but like, 
what so we also did that so we wrote a story about this fund h2o and it literally meant eight billion euros were withdrawn from h2o mm -hmm. and a year mm -hmm. later the french regulator like froze all the funds but what we did was we just read their fund accounts properly and like <laughs> no one actually does this so when people invest yeah. in funds they don't they just don't look at what is investing in yeah. and when we looked at it we we're like okay there's like eight boxes in here and they're all just Lars Windhorst in mm. various different boxes it's just mm. Lars Windhorst in glasses yeah yeah La Lars Windhorst dressed as like a sexy lady pushing out his ankle it's the same thing with mm. it's exactly the same thing with Credit Suisse so like we'll, we'll get on to Sanjeev Gupta later but we had a story this week about his invoices right oh, his really great invoices <laughs> it's, it's from fantastic. companies he knew super well well exactly but like some of these like receivables as they're called were listed in the fund and we rang and we had we had the invoices as well but we rang rang them up and they were just like yeah we've never traded with Sanjeev Gupta like this was disclosed like this was there like credit suisse could have rang these companies at any point and they just didn't because yeah. you don't. Oh, why would you? Why would you? Cocaine yeah. is a hell of a drug. That, that's the mark of a great auditor. Yeah. Um, so look, I want to sort of talk a little bit before we go sort of too much further. I have this question, right, that I've been sort of turning over in my head for the last sort of eight months or so. And there have been different answers to it kind of each time, which is what really was Greensill? Because it claims it was a tech company. But as a matter of mm. fact, Isn't it, didn't, everything these days. it didn't really have technology. It licensed some relatively like, you know, okay um, invoice analysis software from a third party company called Talia, but it didn't develop any technology in house. Um, My new startup called Fraud, but it's just like, this is no U, it's just an A with that weird yeah. Scandinavian circle over <laughs> so it. Most of, and, and it, so it didn't have any technology. Uh, most of the loans that it, it sort of wrote were. Uh, uh, Again, a massive amount of them, like two thirds of Greensill Bank in Bremen was related to um, Sanjeev Gupta. It was yeah, just this one much. guy. Hmm. What the fuck was Greensill? Um, look, I think it was sort of an expression of a guy's vision. It was a vibe. Basically. It was like, a vibe. <laughs> no, I mean, so like uh, Bloomberg had a great story, which I was really annoyed. I was really pissed off at getting scoop tax. I kind of knew it as well and like messed it up. But they had the great story that he supply chain financed his neighbor in Cheshire. Oh, yeah. Right? We, we, we spoke about that yeah. as well. Oh, he, God, had a, he had a school. Each other is yeah. literally texting me about Greensill right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's mainstream. Supply yeah. chain finance yourself and everyone around you. But yeah, he... He, uh, I mean, look, they, they, his neighbor was doing a worthy thing. It was a special needs school. But um, yeah, he supply chain financed his neighbor. And I think like that's the kind of story which sums it up for me. Like, I think he just had like a lot of enthusiasm and thought this product could work. So he got him way over his head on some stuff, like on the Sanjeev Gupta thing. He, I think he just got way in over his head by being like, mm. wow, mm. if I provide enough supply chain financing to this guy, we can revive the British steel industry, which, <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> isn't working <laughs> no it's well, weird how if you don't have enough money to pay your suppliers doing supply chain financing to retard the point at which you can't pay your suppliers actually doesn't make your business any healthier <laughs> so i think like it's uh, so a really funny thing for me is like on my origin story i'm covering this so like mm. i first wrote the words greensill capital in a story in 2014 so like Mm. frigging years ago and it's because he was like really involved in like one of the first kind of financial shenanigans story i did so it was mm. this company called Abengoa, and it was like it's kind of like spanish enron 
Like, oh. no one's gone to prison or anything. Don't worry, but, that's percolating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll come yeah. up with something. Okay. <laughs> I can hear the accent in your head. What if Enmon was Spanish? Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> Please do not audit us. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, it was Jesus very Christ. similar. In that it was like an energy. <laughs> it was like an energy company, and it basically did all this off balance sheet financing, mm. and it kind of funded itself and all this stuff. So I did some mm. like it was early in my journalistic career. I had some big stories on this company, but they basically they had. A, they had an entity called Greensill and because this company was a clean energy company they called mm. all of their things green something so there was like Greenbridge uh, Greenfield so I thought Greensill was just like a company name I just mm. thought it was the company name through which they did like this one form of very opaque supply chain finance right. until someone said like no, Rob, there's like a Mr. Greensill. There's a guy mm. called Greensill. His name's Lex Greensill. And I thought they were like joking. I thought mm. they were taking the piss. I was like, no, no, it's just it's just that they're like, no, no, no. Like, you realize Google this company's named for John Fraud, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of it. Like, I, I had this early experience of this horrible corporate collapse he was involved mm. in. And then I kind of filed him away in the back of my brain until I guess it was 2018. Uh, we'll get on to him later but one of my colleagues was digging into Sanjeev Gupta mm. and he was like oh yeah Sanjeev he like does a lot of supply chain finance I was like oh yeah so there's this one guy who does some slightly iffy stuff there called Lex Greensill and he was like oh that's like he's Sanjeev's best friend they like they do all this stuff together huh. so, like, that's so cool <laughs> they're friends <laughs> so it's a big deal with a guy called a Mr. G Larceny <laughs> <laughs> that's right so I mean the, moving moving sort of on to like some of the different angles of approach here right so I think going back to SoftBank, right, um, yeah. mm -hmm. is that Greensill became one of Masayoshi San's like top stars uh, after the SoftBank investment. As a fucking kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> so he got the same treatment as Adam Newman and then uh, who from WeWork mm -hmm. and then Ritesh Agarwal from OYO. Hmm. But huh. the presenta a presentation from SoftBank indicated that... I am become death destroyer of hotels. The three of them were artificial intelligence entrepreneurs in, quote, the biggest revolution in human history. So move huh. over Red October. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Move all the way over. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, Something in here don't respond well to hotels. These, these three guys, these three, <laughs> these three guys, um, all of whom <laughs> have basically been shown to just like have their businesses kind of be shitty and not work. In one case, just trying to be a machine to destroy the global hotel industry were to be this... I guess what what all what what really strikes me about this whole story and everyone associated with it is the disjunct between mm. what they are supposed to be, what they're sold as, what they're compensated as, how they're discussed until the crisis has already happened. Mm. The smartest right? the disjunct guys in the between room. That. Yeah, but the disjunct between that and then Rob, what you're talking about, which yeah. is just well, really what they do is they provide you dodgy balance sheet financing to Abangoa. Or, you know, they invent a, a new kind of math for the kids of JavaScript programmers. Or they destroy the entire global hotel industry. Yeah, like, what are your qualifications? I know a stupid guy who brokers insurance. <laughs> <laughs> believe me, we're going to need him. <laughs> um, and, and again, it is, for me, it is the utopianism. It is the cheap utopianism that is this papering over just this Cynic, what could again the difference between cynicism and psychotic optimism in the face of all evidence mm. is basically attitudinal it, it's materially it's kind of the same thing where it is this either cynical or psychotically optimistic but fundamentally grasping 
uh, view of, well, there's no money left. We might as well scam it from each other. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think it goes back to what I said earlier. Like to anyone that looked at Greensill any way critically, mm. it, it, it wasn't like. I mean, this is why it was a great story to be a journalist mm. on because, like. Mm. I love writing stories where there are high Vegas odds this thing's going to implode and make you look really <laughs> smart. And this, this was like... This was Welcome like, to the podcasting yeah. business. That's this right. was like, you know, I don't know, in a poker analogy, having pocket aces and like two come down on the flop. You're like, yeah, I can just go all in on this. There, there's a very slim chance this isn't going to end badly. Rob getting a ticker tape that's like Swedish man spotted in Rome. <laughs> so, um, but also the other thing is, this is the last we'll talk about SoftBank for a while, is um, I, I, always, I, always, I have this little sort of mental tally in my head of the people at SoftBank who individually are responsible for insane investment decisions and how many of them came from Deutsche Bank. Hmm. Yeah, so Colin Fan. Yep, there was, it is. Yeah. Another one. Colin Fan, who's... Inventor of the fan. <laughs> Another tick for the Deutsche Bank no, column so of you, people who are doing psycho shit at the SoftBank Vision Fund. I, I don't have them in front of me right now, but like a lot of the other dodgy companies that Greensill was propping up with supply chain finance were Colin Fan's investments as well. Yeah. Colin Fan has now actually left the Vision Fund. Yeah. Oh. So like he's kind of left... I, I don't want to say he's thrown out for bad investments, but... That. You don't get thrown out of the Vision Fund for that. If anything, yeah. you get promoted. Yeah. <laughs> but why, do you, why, do you, why do you think they have the guy who did the mortgage crisis there? <laughs> Colin, Colin Fan has left under a cloud, shall we say. Yes. Um, mm. And I have to say, like, Rajiv Misra, who you probably know, is like, Rajiv is, like, incredibly smart. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you, can, you can say mm. a lot of things about Rajiv. You can't accuse him of not being smart. Um, Colin Fan did the due diligence. He led the due diligence on Greensill. Mm. And, I mean, it's... If you, Riley, had done the due diligence in Greensill, would you have invested one and a half billion dollars in it? Um, I'd, I'd just put it that so, way. What I think Hire Riley yeah. if you're a hedge fund <laughs> and you want to... <laughs> um, so I think what's interesting here, right, as well, is that if, if the same guy is behind a lot of the companies that then got invested in by Greensill, what it seems to be, again, is this is much like on the SoftBank side as on the Greensill side, people getting way in over their heads to the tune of billions of dollars in in sectors that just have zero democratic oversight because they're tech companies, not banks. Um, so I, I, moving a little bit forward, um, let's talk a little bit about Gupta. Oh, yeah. um, so Gupta's empire, Sanjeev Gupta, was built on the political valence that there are good jobs that have to come back to Britain at Steelworks primarily. Uh, and ministers have basically been willing to hand him hundreds of millions of taxpayer pounds in order to be willing to stand on top of those companies because we have to put this guy on top because we couldn't put the taxpayer on top because, no. well, that would be that would be an animal farm. Mm. Yeah, we yeah exactly. It would be in 1984. And you can't have that. animals in a steel mill. No. It would be chaos. Yeah, chaos. <laughs> no, but you can't put hot steel on a cow carnage. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so it's... And I think it, it, it's um, basically right. He... So there was this idea where he said, I will rescue Britain's steel industry. All I need is for Britain to pay me to do it. <laughs> All I need is one guy. Yeah. All I need. Yeah, and, and, and again, the idea that the entire rescue of the British steel industry kind of just stood on the shoulders of this one Australian who wasn't even like Screensill. Who was Greg Berenson? <laughs> it's just a lot of guys standing on yeah. each other's shoulders. Standing mm. on the shoulders of guys. We stand on the shoulders of Australians. <laughs> so what, as, and, uh, right, so, and Gupta's empire was sort of built on this weird financial engineering. Uh, we spoke about it in the first Green Cell episode mm. about his 
plans to sort of secure and then securitize and then sell revenue streams from the British taxpayer, effectively privatizing lots of subsidies like green energy and so forth. This is little red boxes. Yeah. Um, or or the um, yeah the they power- were they were called the little red boxes. Yeah. Yeah. The power plant Amazing. up in Scotland. This mm. but this idea that there is this public purse out there that you can privatize. And Sanjeev would do this in many, many different ways, uh, making himself filthy fucking rich in the, pro- in the process. Mm. But it strikes me, again, as yeah. to why this story matters, because these rich people are scamming each other with companies that do fake business. And who cares yeah. about them? But the, the people, the thing is, right, they create all of these Potemkin businesses, sort of like Sanjeev Gupta does. But then there are lots of people working at them. Yeah. I mean, it's tragic. Like, there's yeah. 35,000 people around the world who work for Gupta. And um, so he, I, I mean, Kel Surprise, he owns a lot in Australia. So he has this big mm. steelworks in this place called Wyala. Um, and it's like, a, it's a classic like Thatcherite mill town, but like down under, like the steelworks is like the main business there. And they like love Sanjeev down mm. there, right? So mm. like they threw him a like taxpayer funded parade through the town once. Oh my God. And like <laughs> his company like sponsors one of the local Aussie rules football club and like all this stuff. And he gave this interview over the weekend where he said like, Wyala is my spiritual home. Like, as we said, like the guy's in Dubai at the moment. Um, mm. Like, you mm. know, his actual home is the 42 million pound mansion in Belgravia. He bought under his wife's name last year, which we revealed in the Financial Times. Sorry, Sanjeev. Um, <laughs> that's his actual home. But he's been saying that his spiritual home is this poor town in Australia. Mm. It's very similar mm. to the Lordstown, uh, the Lordstown yeah. Moses thing, where it's like all of these guys scamming each other. If you absent the whole, you know, scamming central government could be could be fine that's funny but they're also scamming the most desperate people you know mm. and, and there is this when I mean, you read about pe- workers for sanjeev talking about sanjeev they say no he's a good egg yeah. we wouldn't have these jobs without him etc etc but i think there is this th- th- this sort of almost dramatic irony here is that those jobs don't really exist mm. like they don't like they're sort of fake because there's no one buying most most of, most of the products a lot of the money that's coming in is coming in for the Sanjeev Gupta companies not even on the basis of supply chain financing but on the basis of something that makes supply chain financing look really really uh, uh sort of a low yeah, risk I really love the guy is, who employs hmm. me because um I, I work for 12 hours a day forging a big bar of steel that then goes out of the room gets melted down comes back around on a conveyor belt and I forge it again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I am a cow. Yeah, and and, and because mo- a lot of the Sanjeev Gupta stuff was actually prospective receivables. Yeah, this wonderful piece of linguistic arbitrage that <laughs> Lex Green. So so yeah, I guess for your listeners, what what is a prospective receivable? Mm-hmm. So a receivable just means you have an invoice saying that you owe money by someone. So you make steel. Someone's pe- someone's bought steel off you. They haven't paid you yet. Mm-hmm. You can take that invoice. You can get financing from Greensill. Mm-hmm. Um, as we reported this week, a lot of the companies named on Sanjeev Gupta's invoices deny ever doing business with him. So mm. that's one issue. Huh. Uh, could be problematic. Sounds just like a mix-up to me. It, yeah, it's probably just, you know, we spoke to four different companies and it was all a mix-up that they yeah. all had the exact same uh, story. Oh, that they Gupta! Oh, Sanjeev oh, Gupta! You should have said! Uh, oh, I, I bought that... Um, I bought that uh, bar of steel from him that's been forged and reforged uh, 20 <laughs> times over as many yeah, days. Yeah, that makes it stronger. Mm. Yeah. But, but yeah. yeah, so you've, you've got that, okay, uh, which um, is sort of 
you know, I think we use the the term suspicions of fraud in the FT this week. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's the term I will also use on this podcast. Um, yeah. But the prospective receivables thing is like even crazier. So so basically that is, okay, so you don't have enough invoices to do all the finance you need. Why mm. don't you just hypothetically decide how many invoices you're going to get in future and I'm going to give you money up front for them. <laughs> an and IOU like, for an IOU. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And this is like, this is a classic like green soul thing of like just putting a patina of like sort of, sort mm. of something behind nothing. Mm. Like there's nothing mm. here, right? He sold this as like the guys in the credits response were like, oh yeah, this is like great because we have the invoices and we have claim on the invoices. Like, but let's create a bunch of hypothetical invoices that don't exist yet. And then like raised financing against now them. Now there's a Riley Twitter name, De Hypothetical Invoice. Yeah. I think like one of the really funny things about this is like one of the roots for this in Sanjeev's empire was when he had to pay GAM back. Mm. So, you know, GAM. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We talked about them in the first right. episode. So basically what happened was there was SoftBank invested in Greensill but the money went into Greensill's bank mm -hmm. and it capitalized the bank. And then the bank provided a load of future receivables and the proceeds of that were used to repay GAM, the Swiss fund. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as you know, like the huh. bank ended up under criminal investigation so, eventually. Wait, so it, it, could you write, when you use money from one investor to pay back another That's debt. If only smart. there was a term for it. Yeah. Is mm. that some kind of a parallelogram scheme? <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> like if there isn't a term for this type of financing, uh, someone should invent yeah, it. Someone should invent one. Yeah. So it's a cool kind of like conical structure yeah. they have going on. Um, um, which is good because as we know, triangles and cones are very strong. Exactly. Very structurally sound. Um so right and, and this thing and the prospective receivables wasn't just happening at Gupta, it was yeah. happening at Bluestone Resources, other similar companies, where he was basically willing to say, Look, um I have this money spinner where I can sell supply chain notes to investors basically as a cash-like instrument, something that is so liquid yeah. and so dependable that you do not really need to even worry about it. You can treat it as an asset on your balance yeah. sheet. Fine. Um, because, what's, because it's just like the 2008 mortgage crisis, because in 2006, the question was, what, people aren't going to stop paying their mortgages, are they? <laughs> and all these good mortgages at the top are disguising all these shitty mortgages down at the bottom. It's just and like the like 2006 mortgage crisis. Totally unpredictable to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then, in this case, what happens is, yeah, you've got Vodafone paying its... Um, it's like a stripper who owns yeah. eight steel mills. Yeah. <laughs> you've got Vodafone paying its, um, it, it, its uh, supply chain obligations every month. But then... It's sort of packaged up in sort of the same product and being sold again in so a lot of cases to like banks that are backed by like taxpayers or yeah. that are used to like you know again provide basically like you know fake jobs that are sort of going to vanish at any moment or whatever that are all being packaged up together where it's like this prospective receivable stuff and also all this all the good shit it's like uh, it, it's it's the same scam just it's moved on from mortgages to business credit yeah i think like so <laughs> i think as a financial journalist you get a bit sick of everyone comparing everything to the subprime crisis but like the analogy actually really works here yeah. and mm. then like the whole thing with subprime was like okay we're writing all these dog shit loans 
But mm. if we financially engineer them enough, it doesn't matter. Like they're yeah. AAA. And that's yeah. kind of what was happening here. Like the investors in the Credit Suisse fund, which as you just said, by the way, this was like marketed as Credit Suisse's lowest risk possible fund. Like this was supposed to be To seen. be fair, we haven't looked into any of their other funds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have this other great fund of moon real estate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah, they like- They name a star the, after the, you. The Credit, the credit, the credit Suisse three card Monty fund. Well, yeah, they've got a whole load of investment in a guy who paints a picture of your dog. But yeah. this, was, but this right. was the thing. It was like, okay, so yeah, this fund has, uh, debt from NMC Health, the now proven fraud. It has huh. debt from Gupta Steelworks. It has debt from Lex Greensill's neighbor in Cheshire. Inn. But like, hmm. you don't have to worry about all of that because we've got all this magic and we've got all this insurance. So it's provided by one guy. <laughs> right. And this is the thing. So like, it's got all this insurance. So it's magically double A rated. But it mm-hmm. turns out a lot of the insurance hinged on a rugby league loving Australian guy. <laughs> 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 just you know what it is it's it's the mundanity of just oh yeah it was a guy hmm. it was a guy who just who in the most sort of like official explanation who's just like reach exceeded his grasp yeah, it's less the big short and more pain and gain it's just that it's just the guy it's the guy in pain and gain who just happens to be a notary yeah 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 <laughs> yeah he's like yeah i'll notarize that so um, I think like we can say, right, the thing that Lex and, and Gupta had in common was that they both realized that the real prize they were after was the public purse. You know, Gupta successfully lived huge off of public money, uh, as we talked about the, man- the yeah. Belgravia mansion, pri- various private planes. Uh, and Lex has spent the last decade basically trying to get his hands on it. So this is now I want to talk about is Lex and Dave. Yeah. Um, mm. So uh, David Cameron... Uh, is a uh, very smart and capable man. Yeah, he went to Oxford, yeah. so he's got to be smart. Exactly. I mean, he yeah. didn't do law, um, but aside from that... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, noted porcophile, David Cameron. <laughs> That's right. Um, um, so D- Cameron uh, joins the board of Greensill uh, in 2018. No, 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 no. no, no. He, was, he was an advisor Excuse to me. the board. Not, oh, yeah, because that would be a but, really big deal but, if he was joining the but, board. But Greensill yeah. did claim he was on the board in, in the text yeah. we've seen, which he sent to a wrong number, which is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, damn it. I, oh, I shouldn't have texted the financial journalist investigating me. No, no, incriminating so, details. He, he didn't send it to us. Buffin <laughs> and investors in my phone in like alphabetical order. So it's really easy to do. Right, so basically, mm. just to cut you, just to cut it quickly. So Lex tried to text the Prime Minister of Australia called Scott Morrison. He just texted Serious the wrong guy. Fraud office, Scott Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> so he just said like, "Oh, you know, Prime Minister, blah blah blah." But he said uh, David Cameron is a board member and a material share- shareholder. David Cameron's not a board member. Yeah. So, mm. Advisor to the board, yeah. but also a material shareholder, yeah. which does matter. Yeah. So, I believe I accidentally texted the obvious fraud office. <laughs> so uh, I remember that. So Cameron yeah. basically joins uh, Greensill as an advisor to the board, excuse me, in 2018. And he claims this was before any of the problems with Greensill were evident, <laughs> which again, mm. just Greensill at, in 2018 Evident already, to him, maybe. already has like just a wake of burning and dead companies left behind yeah. it. Yeah, like, I mean, as a, a, you could Google Abengoa Greensill and you would get a ton of my early articles yeah. about what happened there. Uh, or indeed, you could also, uh, this was the same year that Carillion collapsed off of the back of a scheme was. that was drawn up between Lex Greensill and Cameron when Cameron was in office. Like, 
the problem well, how was Cameron supposed to know yeah. about that? <laughs> well, that's exactly. true. Yeah. So um, Cameron was said to have, and I'm uh, quoting here, uh, said to have been attracted to the idea of working for a rising star of British fintech rather than a well-established bank. One friend said he, quote, saw it as new and refreshing. <laughs> the thing, the thing <laughs> what I love, a fucking dummy. <laughs> the thing I love about this is, uh, yeah, so he wanted to work for a fintech instead of a bank. He wanted to wear a Patagonia you vest know, to work. He offered me a lilt. <laughs> but Greensill owned a bank in Germany, in Bremen, which is now under criminal investigation. So, yeah. the Pouring um, some out. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, again, just, the, I, just, it speaks to, like, specifically, like, I, we try, I try not to talk too much about like individuals, try to talk about structural forces, whatever, but it speaks specifically to how much of an intellectual fucking mediocrity David Cameron is, that he was unable to sort of see beyond that this is a fun young company that's worthy for an exciting prime minister like me. Hmm. Like I, The guy fucking hmm. sees the world in cartoons. I swear to God. Well, I think like one. Th- I think one thing to note about David Cameron is obviously he had these share options, which could have made him a rich guy. But like, he didn't have a passive role in this company. He like we talked about earlier. He went on a camping trip with MBS, right? But he also went to Australia to meet Greg Brereton, the insurance guy. He met the guy. He met the guy. No, he, I, I hear he really like to- rugby league. <laughs> exactly. So we've all at the FT have just been like envisioning what was the meeting like between uh-huh. this rugby league loving nice. Australia. It's probably really nice. Yeah, yeah. But like he, and by the, the way, they made in this fucking pig camp. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, we've seen photos of David Cameron on the private jets. So you can see uh-huh. the appeal of Greensill. And to be a fair, if you're a former jets. prime minister of the United Kingdom, it's one of the better private jets That's that you true. could have been photographed on. <laughs> like, when they told David Cameron he'd been photographed on a private jet, he was like, thank fuck. <laughs> Lex Greensill. Okay. Whoa. Not the other guy. <laughs> that I could deal with. Yeah. Right. But it's, um, this is also like, it's just his, I think, like, we will get into the relationship between sort of Dave and, and this mm. company. Um, but what happened sort of after Dave uh, joined the board or joined the board as an advisory capacity, um, right? He is essentially um, going cap in hand to uh, the uh, treasury, yeah. uh, to sort of anyone who will speak to him, to try to say, basically rattling his cup, being like, please, make my share options worth millions yeah. and millions it, of pounds. That's the lunch, lunch with Matt Hancock. Yeah, indeed. So Yeah, on Matt Hancock's tiny dining <laughs> service. <laughs> so the, the, main, the, the big one here, right, is that David Cameron sends a bunch of personal texts to Sunak's personal phone, being like, I would really appreciate it if you would... Um, put this thing that no one understands in charge of a bunch of uh, COVID business recovery loans. Matey, would you do us a favor? Essentially, yeah. This, again, this... I mean, it sounds is, so the, fucking legal. Yeah. <laughs> well, um... It, oh, it is. It is. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. I'm good. I'm glad I was right about that, about how legal it is. Mm. <laughs> so I've only talked to Lex Greensill twice. Um, one time was very recently. So one time was a month ago when I cold called him and he accused me of character assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, which Only because you said he hunted people <laughs> for sport. No, but this is the thing, Alice. I, I didn't say that. I just wrote a, a load of rigorously researched articles about his uh, company you that he didn't like. Would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> a lot he immediately said, "But you don't know about me hunting people for sport." I just this want to clarify. Character assassination on me to say that I hunt people for sport, and you're just like, I, I never said anything like well, that. Well, good because if you had said that, then there would have been trouble. Yeah. <laughs> 
and you certainly would not have found any evidence of it. Suspiciously right? very specific yeah. denial. Because all of that evidence has been destroyed. I mean, never existed. <laughs> That's right. So Greensill, via Cameron, basically lobbying, um, again, in a capacity that is not allowed, but also not not allowed by the basis yeah. of sort of how the enforcement action has gone. Basically being <laughs> like, kind of Queensbury rules. Yeah, basically being like, hey, could you please... Um, this thing that turned out to be a gigantic house of cards full of, like, basically similar to 2008 financial engineering. Can we center that in the economy more, mm. please? Mm. You know, given that it's not that serious of a time and there's quite a bit of money flowing around. I was hoping you could pass some of it through this bullshit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this was what I was going to say. Like, the other time I've been allowed to speak to Lex Greensaw. So I've tried to talk to him on the record many times. Mm. It was never allowed. But it's because I was writing an article about all the defaults that had happened in the fund. So you talked about some of them earlier, NMC, AgriTrade, right? Um, but it turned out I was writing this article in the middle of this lobbying process. So it was clearly deeply unhelpful for the lobbying process. So mm. unfortunately, this conversation with Lex was off record, and I do have to respect that as a journalist. But I basically heard his lobbying pitch for this Bank of England scheme. And the Sunday Times had a great story today where they had, I think it was Cameron's email. It wasn't to Sunak, it was someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's basically all these same sort of talking points. Like we're the, I think it literally says we're the biggest fintech in the UK and we're helping SMEs and it would be nuts not to give us access to this scheme. We're not a small scam. Let me just put that out there straight away. We're one of the biggest scams currently going on. <laughs> you Look, the British state could get in on the ground floor of this pyramid scheme. <laughs> Uh, are you familiar with health supplements? So are we yes. suggesting really- familiar with a single Australian man. <laughs> so yeah. are we suggesting that, um, what that David Cameron- did not fully understand what he was basically desperately selling to the ba- to the, the treasury no, department. No, no. <laughs> it seems shocking, <laughs> but I would wager that David Cameron didn't understand all the intricacies of supply chain finance and I, how it can be used and abused. If only he That's had, just a hunch of mine. If only he'd had a, a, a bunch of podcasting idiots to explain mm. it sarcastically to him. David Cameron is raising his, <laughs> raising his hand halfway through the three-hour green cell meeting to go, sorry, so this guy's name is Mr. Masayoshi. <laughs> Can I just... But that's like his name. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I, I'd say, I, I believe, to put it charitably, I do not think, given an infinite amount of time and patience, that you mm. could make David Cameron understand what supply chain finance is. I think if he had a year to puzzle out its inner workings, he would fail to come to an adequate understanding of it. A concept of this middling complication is fundamentally and profoundly beyond his intellectual reach, and it will be that way for fucking ever. And so, in a way, he's completely innocent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> David Cameron, too stupid to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have to put him in stupid guy jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the British state. That's right. Um, so, uh, anyway. What is the public school system, if not a kind of stupid guy jail? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, look, um, essentially, we have, yes, he's basically, Cameron is lobbying the British state to step into a bear trap as a favor to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, 
I think it's interesting, like when you think about, so when Lex sort of inveigled himself into government, it was mm. sort of 2011, 2012, that sort mm. of period. It's obviously like the, the start of the coalition. Mm. And you remember that period, it was all about like austerity and all this, but there was a big emphasis on finding like private sector solutions to things, right? Mm. And I think like- In Britain? <laughs> what? No. But this is the thing. So uh, <clears throat> I think like maybe you guys have talked about it before. A lot mm. of people have talked about this before. Even like actually Marina Hyde talked about this, who's like a very, like you know she's a very funny like columnist but she's not a sophisticated financial commenter mm. and her very obvious observation was like why does the government need to supply chain finance anything it's got the, it's got the bank of england yeah it's it, like, don't it has, they have the money printer they have the money printer <laughs> they, don't, they, yeah. don't exactly. need, they don't need this guy's fake money printer they have the real one but this did not mm. occur to david cameron so there's like a clip no. where <laughs> where he says and he gets his name wrong which is quite funny he calls him lex greenhill and he says <laughs> yeah. he says lex lex give us a wave and then he goes lex is sorting out the whole supply chain for us yeah he's the supply chain guy He's the, he's the money guy. Yeah, he's the yeah. money guy. Yeah. Government needs a money guy because if government gets he, money the normal way, then you get a Weimar Germany. Yeah, he grows money on a farm in Australia. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Why mean, grow vegetables which you sell for money when you can just grow money directly? <laughs> like the whole attraction of Greensill to uh, a lot of businesses is you can be like, oh, I can just sort of be my own bank. I can turn my supply chain into a bank, yeah. basically, and sort of you know get around a lot of like capital rules. But... The Bank of England is the bank. Yeah, exactly. Like Why do you need to? Because the bank deposits that are getting supply chain financed into you are initially created through lending that happens supported by the Bank of England. Wait, you don't need another one. Are you telling me that the Bank of England is a bank? I thought that was just like a name. <laughs> it was like just, Mr. Masayoshi. No, it, was just, it was just a tube station. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're telling me that this thing's name is Bank of England? <laughs> yeah. No, but this is the thing. So, like, if you take a step back, like, the. So he had a lot of schemes, and mm. and most Boy, of, did he have a lot of schemes. The ones, the ones which worked in a government context tend to be around the NHS. He obviously had some kind of in there, mm. but like mm. one of them was around pharmacies, right? And yeah. it was it was there are a, two. I have details on. Yeah, here. so it was earned, and yeah, exactly. So the pharmacy one was oh, the government isn't paying pharmacies fast enough. Greensill will pay the pharmacies, and then the government will pay them later. Like, why didn't the government just pay the pharmacies? Faster. And that's the, that's yeah. everyone everyone who was consulted on this pharmacy yeah. uh, idea said, why can't we just pay them faster? Why do we need to insert Citibank into this? David process? Cameron is a strong believer in a joke from like a decade ago on Twitter of socialism is when the government does stuff, and the more stuff the government does, the more socialist it is. Mm. Government can't do. Government can't be paying. The government can't be moving money around inside yeah. of itself. We yeah, yeah. should get a bank to do that for us. Because what if we screw it up? Because we're dum dums. Which again, in David Cameron's case, is true. Yeah, they were right about yeah, that. Yeah, they yeah. were right about that. I think. I think one interesting thing about this thing is like there's there's a lot of folks on the Tories, right, mm. because of David mm. Cameron. But like, if you put Sanjeev Gupta into the same bucket, right, because a lot of Gupta's financing hinged on Greensill, mm. like. The, the political class were just enamored with this. Carwin so like, Jones. Carwin Jones, mm, yeah. who was Labour, Labour First Minister of Wales, he joined Gupta's board. And mm. then uh, like Aqaba, which like never really criticizes anyone, was instantly like, uh, I don't know if that's allowed. Are you allowed to do this? And he like got very angry. The SNP, so Nicola no, Sturgeon. No, really? Not the SNP, not the world's smartest people. <laughs> they provided- Okay, but did Alba do anything? <laughs> I thought not. The devolved administration 
Nations are such a great repository of like even dumber guys mm. than in Westminster politics. Just phenomenal like Bush League shit. Oh yeah, no, but this is so this is amazing, and I think it's like an underappreciated part of the Greensill like fiasco is they're kind of like the uh, origin transaction between Gupta and Greensill was this Scottish transaction and it was all hinged on a guarantee the Scottish government gave mm-hmm. and they gave a half a billion pound guarantee, right? And it's to a power purchase contract between Gupta and his father. Hanging so out, making business deals with your dad. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. The Scottish government like gave a guarantee to a deal between Gupta and his dad that then essentially got securitized yeah. by Greenson. It, it collateralized dad yeah. obligations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a deal my dad was going to take me fishing for <laughs> once in my life. So, I mean, the thing, I think the, the key to understanding all of this, right, is that the in, in, these, in government in its neoliberal form, mm. It must have idiots in charge of things because the whole point is that the state is stupid. Democratic control is is not desirable. We can't have these idiots running anything. Do you really want to put an organization that David Cameron is in charge of at the head of the NHS payments? No, 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 no. These are all dangerous morons. You need to get this very smart Australian in here uh, Mm. with his friend, the rugby league guy, and they're going to sort all of it out. Right? Yeah. There is this idea that politicians, like it's, it's something we talk about actually quite a bit on this show, which is being dumb on purpose. It's a British value, and there is yeah. no more British yeah. value than being dumb on purpose for Refusing the purpose of to know things. for the purpose of privatizing something. I was going to say, like I think ev- <laughs> everyone here went to Oxbridge at this table here, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very embarrassing fact. <laughs> the diversity the <laughs> yeah. only diversity uh, happening on this podcast in uh, any Alice sense. who is not in the studio is the <laughs> only diversity the, Alice the, the absolute the soul of the working people That's of right. this country yeah. who attended a small comprehensive the, called Dutch College I, I, am the, <laughs> I am the most proletarian one on this podcast right now but, yeah. but I was, was going to say so like I, th- I, I, yeah, I went to a comp and then I went to like um, I went to Cambridge and there were just like a lot of David Cameron type guys there who oh, yeah. like make a virtue of not knowing details of things. Like, mm. you know, like the whole essay crisis concept, like, oh, I've got an essay, total essay crisis. Like, mm. but, uh, you know, the, the supervision's going to go fine because like, it's like this like bluffing and blagging sort of, mm. you know, is, and I think that's where like Greensill's really funny because if you were a detail person, you could just like clock this cold. Like if you just went through the funds, like went, huh, wait, that's his neighbor. And like, stuff like that. <laughs> wait a minute, yeah. that's his dad? If you, if you were- Hey, on- hang on, there's just one Australian guy. Well, alternatively, <laughs> if you were on a podcast with a detail person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So hang on, you read that paperwork? <laughs> Yo, dude, what the fuck, you gay? <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> so this is, this, is a, this is like a thing is like, no one actually reads things which mm. which sounds kind of no. obvious but like that is writ large in finance like if there's a long document and there's a thing at the start of the document saying like these are the key details everyone will just read that mm-hmm. and they won't leaf through and be like oh wait it lists the invoices here why don't we call the companies named on the invoices and then <laughs> yeah. you get- if we're gonna give him the money from the state we probably should do it no 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 there's no time yeah. we're too stupid to do that yeah. give it just privatize it so it becomes cameron ppe guy saying oh lex is sorting out the whole supply chain finance mm. issue for us yeah. without there, there was no issue there was no, there was issue. no issue to sort out yeah. all you've done is insert Citibank into pharmacy procurement and and then made pharmacy 
pharmacies lose about 1% of their income to loans they didn't need to take out. That's what happened. Mm. It was a colossal failure, an unmitigated failure. Uh, well, except unless, of course, you're Lex Greensill or Citibank. Mm. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Feeling so what, what's great the right now, I'm sure. Yeah. The, the quote here is that uh, Cameron's government and the senior, the very senior civil servants like Jeremy Haywood and stuff, they and the quote from the Sunday Times is that they liked swashbuckling buckling business people with their whizzy ideas. <laughs> wow. Wow, actually, Tom Sharp is going to revolutionize. Uh... Uh, it's, it's not even just that they, they don't read anything and they just kind of like blag their way through everything. It's that they do it in such an irritating, sounding way. Oh, well, they've read the Hornblower books, yeah. so I mean, well, that's something. No, it's that it's they love jangling <laughs> keys, mm, and they're yeah. just going to put more jingling. Because like, that's basically most of what this stuff is. Most of all these different privatizations, right? It's just a game of three-card Monty that they're more or less trying to lose because they know that their job is to be the Washington generals. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're supposed to lose. Um, so a, a little bit more, because they know we're going very long. Just uh, It's very worth what, we're so spending the time here. So much here. There's a lot we've read. Um, mm. <laughs> so uh, this is on the Matt. That, that, sorry, see, not, we're not going to get to Matt Hancock yet. But when David Cameron sort of um, off, off the back of all this, off the back of shouting him out in meetings, off the back of going on planes with him in verifiable ways multiple mm. times, off the back of Lex <laughs> Greensill having a business card that said senior advisor, prime minister's office. On a plane with the second worst guy <laughs> you could be on a plane with. <laughs> Da- uh, the, one of his David Cameron's friends, who is all he speaks to, like the press through. Yeah, now, so said, this this is a ho- just to cut in. This is like a horrible lobby press, yeah. um, like you know, like the lobby, like right, where right, right, yeah. they, they they talk about friends and allies mm. of, yeah. and it's just mm. when like the guy doesn't want to make a statement himself. Yeah. Source he closely did. placed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, Dave. To be fair, David Cameron is still. He's actually trying to call you. It's just all he's allowed to use is a Flintstone phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's David Cameron's good friend, Three Card Montgomery, um, <laughs> an Antifa-style activist, has infiltrated all of these guys' phones and has simply. They keep dialing the serious fraud office. Changed right. all of so, the contacts in David Cameron's phone to the serious fraud office. A serious fraud so, office. Like this seems like more of an obvious but, fraud office kind of case. So the quote, but the quote here, right? And remember how much contact we've talked about them having specific planning meetings, plane journeys, and so on. The quote from the friend: David thinks he met him once in the entirety of his time as prime minister. Adding that it was around uh, October 2012 when Cameron announced a new supply chain finance scheme intended to improve cash flow for government suppliers. Met him once. David thinks. I'm enjoying the yeah. third person there very much. Yeah. Yeah. David's pretty David's sure he's never thunk yeah, in David, his life. David's not thinking. Uh, David's pretty sure he's only met this guy who he's been on a camping trip in Saudi Arabia <laughs> with one time. Well, the thing is, the camping trip wouldn't be very memorable because he didn't get to have that conversation about law. Oh yeah, he was he was he was excluded from the conversation, so he doesn't count it. We were all in ayahuasca and I was having a bit of a whitey. <laughs> Yeah, they were talking about how they're going to do a flying car thing around um, the Kaaba. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is this this trick, these government people, these, these high-level politicians who just love to get keys jangled in front of them hmm. and want to get more jangling keys involved in the business of state. Yeah. Surprisingly, it also worked on Matt Hancock, which I find pretty far-fetched. Mm. Oh, no. No. Not him. Oh. He's so sharp. 
Not the guy who was bribed with a fucking £1,300 membership to the jockey enclosure. Not that guy. <laughs> so, um, Cameron Greensill and Matt Hancock, another dream blunt rotation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> went out for- to be, Actually, that would be yeah. pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, MBS I would find more annoying, but yeah. Hancock is, is a beautiful I know, man. I still have it on record. I want to have lunch with Matt Hancock. Yeah. Uh, but so, going down the Shalimar with my ankle. Listen, you can. All you have to do is know an Australian, and you do. So just like That's get right. one of the get one yeah. of the Bunta Vista guys yeah. to ensure. Andrew, I need you to call Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, can you ensure hundreds of millions of pounds worth of supply chain financing <laughs> so that I can have I can lunch with a guy who I think is kind of nice? So basically what they did was they lobbied Matt Hancock to include uh, earned this green cell subsidiary mm. to as a, a rollout to pay NHS staff on a daily basis. Uh, cool. uh, Greensill said it was his treat to the nation. So fuck you. He no, he literally said it was his cup of tea. Yeah, his cup of tea. That's the every, one. Pit, pit. Basically, like Pratt. Pratt had done a thing where, like, if you it was um, so this is first wave of coronavirus. Mm. Remember how like we were all terrified, right? It was a very weird, terrifying time. We were like locked in our houses, and while everyone was locked in their houses, Lex Greensill was beamed to the nation on Sky News to explain how he was going to help NHS workers on the front line get paid every day and that this was going to be amazing. And he said that Predamonje had just announced the free cup of tea for every NHS worker. And he said, this is my free cup of tea. Yeah. They get this thing that in the long run means that Citibank is going to take a percentage of the entire NHS payroll. Well, or Greensill. Or Greensill, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of financial institutions yeah. involved in it, but no, but this one was Greensill. So he did this for free. So what's interesting here is, you know, I said he tried to send that text to Scott Morrison, the Aussie PM, yeah. and then did another it. brain genius individual <laughs> while yeah. we're at it. But he, so he sent it to the wrong guy. We ended up seeing the text, and he was offering the same thing in Australia. And he described it in the text as, this will be my gift to the nation. Hmm. This will be my bunning snag to the nation. (laughs) But what's really funny is Australia didn't go for this at all. So he he tried to lobby them again at Davos with David Cameron. He he lobbied this other Aussie politician. And in the briefing notes, this Australian guy Spads put, it is economically similar to payday lending. (laughs) (laughs) So David Cameron was outbrained by scomo yeah <laughs> essentially um scomo was just like look it is every australian's dream to be australian and the <laughs> promise of australia is an australia for everyone yeah. and i don't think that payday lending is part of that yeah so effectively what happened is that the the his whole his whole raison d'etre at this point right is I need more money coming in because I kind of know, even if I don't acknowledge it, that this is all built on a house of cards. And I know that the British political and and media class is like Mm. venal, grasping, and stupid enough to do at least a couple of them to do everything in their power to spend eight years trying to give me as much of the state as possible. And basically, we were only saved from the fallout from Greensill being, and it's already going to be bad, by the way, but we're only being saved from the fallout from Greensill being worse by the fact that he needed to use these venal, incompetent fucking morons to lobby for him. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting in terms of... I love British politicians, as you can see. (laughs) Yeah, that's super cool. I love all of them. 
So I think it's interesting in terms of like a lot of the stuff he ended up doing with the government. So particularly his earn thing. Mm -hmm. He didn't actually make money out of it. But it was more like, I mean, I, I told you, it gave him the opportunity to go on Sky News yeah. and do the mm. free, you know, free cup of tea to the nation shtick. Mm. And I think it was really important in that respect. It gave him this kind of veneer of officialdom mm. about what he's mm. doing. Um, so I think it was like, did Greensill make a lot of money out of the government and all of this stuff? I don't know if no. he really did. I, think he, but I was, think he tried to. He wanted to. I th I, I, but his, his champions uh, were David Cameron, and so they basically <laughs> failed to let him do that. But I think like in terms of like what was really valuable to him was having this like it made him appear like he was part of the British establishment. Mm, right. So like... Some reputational laundering. Yeah. yeah. And you know, he got a... He got a I can't remember now if it's an O... I think it was an OBE or CBE. Uh, yeah, CBE, CBE. For services to the economy. Services mm. to the economy. Mm. Um, so I, one of those. I think in terms of like, if you're thinking Wonderful about... estate, that man. Right. Like, okay. So like when SoftBank, when SoftBank invest in Greensill, right? Mm. They know that David Cameron has share options. Mm. So th there's probably some value in that for SoftBank, right? They're like, mm. hmm could be quite useful to help unrich a former <laughs> prime minister, right? Mm. So I think- they picked the wrong one. Well, <laughs> they, picked, they picked perhaps Britain's least capable prime minister. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to pick a smart, evil former prime minister like Blair. Tony Blair. Yeah. Blair would have been great for yeah. that. Mm. Well, I mean, I think, yeah. Tony I th Blair probably would have read some of the documents and gone, um, guys. <laughs> well, I think, that's the, I think that's a really interesting contrast with Blair, mm. right? With the sort of Blair Inc., which developed yeah. after his premiership, yeah. um, involved in all kinds of interesting locales, shall we say? <laughs> mm. um, but it, it, but like one uh, key feature of it is that it was fucking competent, and it was like this amazing machine for like making money and mm. projecting influence around the world. Like what? I mean, this is David Cam. This is David Cameron's legacy now is sort of being involved in this company whose banking subsidiary in Germany is now under criminal investigation. Yeah. And mm. and like David Cameron is now on he's like on the front page of the Sunday Times every week for like the past three weeks <laughs> with like Greensill scandal. Like like this I mean it's it's sort of incredible. Yeah. Um, well, the it's, contrast it's, it's, between it's, it's, Tony Blair and David Cameron. It, it's mm. sort of um it's it's a it's a David Cameron's kind of like um he's got the authority of a cartoon supervillain but the brain of a cartoon supervillain's henchman. <laughs> um, so but before before we end i want to talk i actually am going to give a little a little surprise i'm going to oh. talk about a startup for just a few minutes okay startup is called pipe <laughs> yo <laughs> trying um, to get the pipe see i i, I know the yeah. startup yeah. here so i'm gonna have to rule myself out of the so, guess the startup game oh, no. <laughs> due, due diligence. Yeah. so uh pipe uh says quote we're building the nasdaq for revenue isn't that the nasdaq <laughs> No, that's not right. well, that that's that depends on how you define a, a stock, which could be a claim mm. on future revenue. But no, this is much more direct. Uh, Alice, we're building the Nasdaq for I revenue. I have no fucking clue about pipe. Uh, pipe will help you unlock is your biggest. You can buy in, buy shares in other people's supply chain. Yes, great, <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> You're Love essentially it. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not shares. You can just buy their supply chain. Essentially, you have right. to be an accredited investor. But it's a startup. And they're trying to basically say they looked at more or less what Greensill was doing and being like, ah, that's that's an old school way of doing supply chain financing direct to the customer, building that relationship. We need to put this on the platform economy. We model. can do this more fucked up. Yeah. Yo. 
So they say pipe transforms recurring revenue into upfront capital for growth without debt or dilution. Um, I love to I transform. See what David Cameron's debt or dilution from. or debt or delusion? Because uh, I think dilution. one of them. Oh, okay. So there's definitely some delusion. I see where David Cameron's coming from because I heard that and my eyes glazed over and I just kind of went like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think mm. as like as a finance guy, like I think there's a, a lot of finance is just creating things which are economically exactly the same as debt, but are not calling them debt. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is basically what is being described here. This isn't debt. It's more like a thing where you owe a guy some money. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're. It's not debt. You're buying a revenue stream. It's, it's just. It's I like, love David Graeber's buying a debt. revenue stream. The hmm. first ten thousand years. <laughs> That's right. So they say, basically, if you make a revenue stream and uh, you want some money, you can sell that revenue stream, and then that revenue stream becomes a tradable instrument on this platform, Pipe. So um, what if we took what had happened here in the Greensill thing and um, connected in lots and lots of different buyers and sellers, all of whom could sort of trade these yeah, things um, at David high frequency? Cameron's. Yeah. Let a million David Cameron's bloom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so... Well. I say this is this is by um, brain genius uh, Shamath Palhapatia, uh, who said that uh, pipe is leveling the playing field for companies in capital markets by taking the underlying contracts that generate recurring revenue streams and making them tradable instruments for the first time. Pipe has therefore unlocked a multi-trillion-dollar asset class: yes. revenue. Yes. Revenue. They have opened a portal to a dimension which cannot be closed. <laughs> That's right. And can only be a good thing. So um, if you liked our uh, coverage of Greensill for the last year or so, uh, get excited because there's more coming. <laughs> there is always more coming. So yeah, coming down that pipe. Uh, just looking at the time here, we've gone very long, but I think we've given the, the topic, this favorite topic of ours. I will go mm. to my, I will be obsessed with it long after this episode. We will probably hear from our friends at Greensill again. So I want to say, number one, Rob, it's been a long time coming. Thanks for coming in today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, I feel like now was about the right time, but um, there's a lot more to come. We ain't done with Greensill. Yeah. <laughs> It turns out, uh, Greensill, remarkable turnaround story. Mm. <laughs> Bouncing back with yeah. next Greensill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turns out, People bounce back. I've bounced back. Turns Roll out, Paris, there are others. Turns out, uh, all of those invoices, they were just misplaced. They weren't fa falsified. Yeah, you're about to get four or five callbacks from these companies that are like, Oh, I'm wow. You know, I, I, this is really embarrassing. Yeah, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah, I went. I had a little bit of a run so on an estate what, in what, Cheshire. What had happened was <laughs> Sanjeev Gupta. I thought you said Sanjay Gupta. No. <laughs> Damn, no, crazy. No. <laughs> All right. Um, but this is this has been a long time coming. I've been really looking forward to doing this. Um, and it has been great to have you here, Rob. Um, do check out Rob's reporting on all of this. It's all, I, I've, we've cited it uh, extensively in the past and we'll continue mm. to do so in the future. Um, so do make sure to check that out. It's worth the price of entry to the FT. Mm. Uh, I also want to thank you uh, for paying the price of entry to this Patreon and mm. listening to this episode, uh, which, to be honest, yeah. so, to, like, like bottom line up front, we will almost certainly, in fact, we will be unlocking this before the end of the month. We just wanted to put it out for Patreon supporters first. Yeah, and also if you're a Patreon supporter, you can get a discount on our new shirts. 
Yeah. Which are for sale. They won't be for sale much longer at this point. So uh, yeah. get an order in if you want a What If a Swedish Man Was Italian shirt or a uh, What If the Soviet Union But Shit and Expensive shirt. Yeah, that's right. We keep um, doing both, limited editions of shirts that instantly sell out and we will never learn. Yeah. No, no. that's right. Well, we want to, you know, we, we want to keep them valuable. Yeah, uh, we want to keep. We want to create a resale market in TF shirts that can eventually become a trillion dollar asset class. <laughs> what That's if right. we seven hundred quid on a trash each t shirt on Depop? Yeah. What? What? Oh, dude, you have one of the you have one of the Johannes Vonk shirts that has the misprint on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that's that's about it for today. So uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to get a t shirt soon if you want one. And uh, we'll see you on the free episode in a few days. Bye. Bye. Bye.